0: Psalm 23, Psalm 23, we're beginning a series of sermons um, this summer called Summer in the Psalms. Um, I remember reading um, a preacher of old, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, who said that the Psalms are like the medicine chest for the soul. I remember reading that thinking, he's right. I mean, if you read through the Psalms, there's someone, there's something for everyone, you know? Um, it's even something for us who want to pray judgment, and they're called imprecatory psalms, right? Um, but there's psalms of, of lament, there's psalms of love, there's, there's psalms for, for every condition of the human soul. And so I've often said to myself, if I've ever uh, assumed a pulpit, that I'd spend a summer in the psalms. In fact, I'd spend a few summers in the psalms, because there's 150 of them. Did you know that? Um, there's 150 of them. And so it's exciting to read through the psalms. Some are longer, some are shorter. And so I decided that as I, as I start this psalm, um, somewhere in the psalms, I'm going to start with one of my favorite psalms. And chances are, it's one of yours, Psalm 23. You've probably heard a lot of sermons. You've probably heard uh, a couple of Bible studies. You've read this psalm. This psalm is, it, like, has, maybe has some significance in your life, and, and it really ought to um, in fact, if you have not memorized this psalm, we're going to be in it for four weeks. Why don't you take the Psalm 23 memory challenge, right? Uh, hands up if you've already memorized the psalm, by the way. All right, there's several of you. There's, there's still plenty more, right? Didn't mean, to, didn't mean to show out anybody who didn't. That's not my intent. But I do want to challenge you to memorize this psalm. I actually memorized it in the King James Version, right? So, you know, it's more spiritual, I guess. I don't know. I'm just just kidding. I don't want to start like some kind of worship war uh, in the church. Um, but, but in all seriousness, I, I remember as a little kid, I, I think I was probably Virginia's age, seven or eight, and I remember memorizing the psalm. And there have been times in my life, very difficult times, very hard times, in which I've memorized, uh, I've, I've quoted the psalm to myself, and it's been such a blessing. And my prayer is that it's a blessing to you. My prayer is that it's a blessing to you. Now today's sermon is just going to be on one aspect of what of what this psalm teaches, and the other sermons are going to sort of um, expand on those themes. And so don't be surprised if it's like you know a really short sermon because we're just going to like deal with one aspect. But um, but I hope I hope this psalm is a blessing to you. So with that said, let's let's read God's word. And um, I, I would love for us to all read this together. I know all of us kind of have maybe some different versions. Um, so maybe maybe we'll do that. Um, uh, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. Because I think it's printed in here. Is it printed in? Okay. I think it's just the first three verses, though. Ne- you know, I tell you what. Let's do it next week. Next week, I'll have them print out the entire section, and we can all do it together. The majority of us probably have the same version, but I don't want to chance it. Then it's awkward, like some people reading certain words that are not there. So, so I'll read the psalm today. And, and in all seriousness, take the Psalm 23 memorize, uh, memory challenge. You will not regret the effort that you put into memorizing, A, God's Word, but particularly this psalm. Hear now the words of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want forever. All flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let us go before our Lord in prayer. Father, our great shepherd, thank you that though these words were written thousands of years ago, we as your people can still be blessed and encouraged and built up by the power of this metaphor. You as shepherd, is there anything else that encapsulates your relationship with us, your people? You as the great shepherd and we as the sheep. And today, as we've gathered together, my prayer, my prayer, is that you as shepherd will be impressed upon our hearts and minds now more than ever. Please, Father, be with us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Around the the 19th century or so, a group of archaeologists started um, a dig. And they happened upon um, a series of catacombs. Now for those of you that don't know what catacombs uh, are, they're essentially underground burial sites. And, and, and the early church would meet in catacombs, first of all, to bury their dead. But second of all, they can meet there in safety because there would be no one that would go down and interrupt them in the catacombs. Because there was this mysticism surrounding that, that if you were to go down into the catacombs, you'd be cursed. And so, so imagine this persecuted church in these catacombs. And, and imagine thousands of years later, this archaeo- these archaeologists, these Christian archaeologists were going around because they kind of figured that, that there was something there. They happened upon these catacombs. And, and this was a huge discovery for a number of reasons because, because nobody knew up to this point that much about the early church. They didn't know their practices, they didn't know their beliefs, they didn't know what sustained them through all of this persecution, the persecution of Nero and Domitian and Trajan and Diocletian, all of these persecutions that they experienced, this time that they lived in of great distress, this time that they lived in that was that was pressing down on them. People wanted to know what sustained these great saints, what kept them going? What challenged them to press on in the midst of difficult time of seeing their loved ones die, to see their faith waning, wondering where is God in the midst of all that's going on? What is it that sustained them? That was the question on everybody's mind. But but nobody knew. And so after they found this, this question was finally answered. And after they looked through all of the catacombs and they gathered all the information, here is what one of the of the archeologists that uncovered this said, he said, what was the popular religion of the first Christians? It was in one word, the religion of the good shepherd. The kindness, the courage, the grace, the love, the beauty of the good shepherd was to them, if we may say prayer book and articles, creeds and canons all in one. They looked on that figure and it conveyed to them, get this, all that they wanted. And it's that phrase that caught me. He said that when they looked upon this this psalm, this imagery of the good shepherd, it conveyed all that they wanted. They wanted to be comforted during this time. They wanted... Someone to shepherd them during this time. They wanted hope. They wanted direction. And they found it in the imagery of the good shepherd. Now think with me. What other imagery would do? Imagine if we say the Lord is our congressman. Would that work? What if we say that the Lord is our gastroenterologist? Would that make much sense? Or how about the Lord is my therapist? The therapists are good, but, but does it capture the essence of our relationship with God? The answer to our question is no. Only the good shepherd gets at the heart of it. Even if we look at the whole concept of us, uh, God being our father, or in the Bible it mentions God is our mother. At some point there's this aspect of we're going to grow up, But here's the thing, sheep always need the shepherd. There's never a time a sheep can outgrow or outmature his need for the shepherd. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at just one aspect of this metaphor that I think really demonstrates and shows us the great goodness of having a shepherd. And it's this one aspect of the shepherd's voice. The shepherd's voice. You say, pastor, what do you mean? Look at verse number one through three. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Look at all the wonderful imagery here. The shepherd as one who who makes sure that the sheep have all that they want. Verse number one. In verse number two, there's this place of the shepherd leading his his flock to green pastures, leading them beside still waters, restoring them. In terms of them being hungry and thirsty, he leads them down good paths instead of uh, awful paths. He, he lays down his life for them, according to verse 4, by protecting them from valleys of shadows of death. All of this wonderful imagery. But, but how does a shepherd lead his sheep? That's the question. And it's the one thing that David didn't have time to shove in here. I can imagine David as the, as the great shepherd. He's sitting down. He's under a nice plush tree, and he just begins to write. And the one thing he couldn't get in here is the fact that the way in which a shepherd leads his sheep is by calling his sheep. You see, in David's day, a shepherd would, would call his sheep. He would train his sheep to hear his voice. Now, Now, it's not just like, his particular voice, but there was a particular call that he would give, a particular sound that he would make. And here's the cool thing, and I had to look this up because I didn't believe it. Okay, I had to actually go on the internet, and you can too. It's awesome. So, so there would be a bunch of shepherds that would come together, right? And they would, they would feed their flock all at the same place. They would drink water at the same place. And all of a sudden, you would see a shepherd make a call. And it could be anything. It'd be a yada you know, it's just, it's just the weirdest call. Sometimes it's shrieking. And, and all of a sudden, you'll see all these sheep, and they're mixed together, mind you. These sheep, these sheep are mixed together. And all of a sudden, you'd see them start pushing their way out of the crowd, pushing their way out of the crowd. And he, he keeps repeating this call. And as he walks, they would come. They would come, and he would lead them. He would lead them. It's the most glorious thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And listen, there was nothing special about this shepherd. It was just that he had this call and he had trained his sheep uh, to hear his voice and to hear his call. Now, for you to understand how cool that is, you have to understand a little something about the sheep. Okay? And I love how one author puts it. He says, sheep are totally unable to fend for themselves. This is why we need the call. He said, instead, they were totally dependent on a shepherd for protection, grazing, watering, shelter, and tending to injuries. In fact, sheep would not survive long without a shepherd. Sheep are not only dependent creatures, they are also singularly unintelligent. (laughs) Think about that for a moment. He said, sheep are singularly unintelligent prone to wonder and unable to find their way to the sheepfold even when it is within their sight. Now I have to tell you, when I read that sheep are singularly unintelligent, and I know that the Bible is telling me I'm a sheep, that was less than flattering to me. You know, I'm I'm more comfortable with me being a royal priesthood, right? Of me being a prince. I'm more comfortable with me uh, thinking about judging angels or being precious stones. But no one in this room wants to be thought of as a stupid, stinky sheep. But can I tell you, that's who we are. And can I also tell you this, that unless you see yourself as a stupid, stinky sheep, You cannot claim God as your shepherd. If you continue to hold on to your pride and your self-reliance and your ability to lead yourself, you can't hear the voice of the good shepherd. But not only that, there's something else about you. Not only are you a stinky, smelly, stupid sheep, but you're also prone to go astray. Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, 6, says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And in this proclamation, Isaiah is saying that you and I suffer from two maladies. First of all, original sin an actual sin. Original sin meaning the stain of sin that you are born with based on the fall. That you are born in trespasses and sin. And you have a nature that is bent on going astray and going into paths of unrighteousness and going down dangerous paths. But not only that, Isaiah is pointing to the fact that you and I commit actual sin. We are participants in that nature. And that unless we have a good shepherd who will call us to himself, that will lead us down paths of righteousness that will lead us down paths of green pastures, that will lead us to still waters, unless we have a shepherd that can call out to us and bring us back from our own paths of destruction, then we will will die. We'll be left defenseless. And it's in this reality that Jesus makes the statement and alludes to this imagery In John 10, 27, when he says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. I love that phrase, they shall never perish. I know most of us don't know Greek, but I'm going to give you a quick Greek lesson. You ready? Don't worry, I, I know what I'm talking about. And and, hey, you could be Bereans and check this out. The, The phrase, they shall never perish, is the strongest negation in the Bible. You cannot get any stronger than that. In fact, it's actually a double negative. The Greeks are the only people that can do this. They do just about anything with their language. But one of the aspects of their language is that they can actually have a double negative, and it doesn't cancel out one another. It actually makes it stronger. And here's what Jesus says. For those who are a sheep, those who, call, who he calls, and those who follow him, he said that they will never perish. There's no possibility of us perishing if we belong to the good shepherd because his call will never be disobeyed. In fact, when we obey the call of the master, of the great shepherd, that's how we know we're a sheep. And so Jesus said, for those whom he have called, they will never, ever perish. You know, we live in a in an interesting time where there are many voices lining up to tell us what to believe and what to think and who to follow. But God's people, his sheep, are called to obey his voice and his voice alone. And the good shepherd has much to say to his people. To the unbeliever, the good shepherd says, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Believe and trust in me while it is still today. And for the Christian, the good shepherd says this, he tells us to hunger and thirst after him and to rely on him and desire more of him. I remember um, it was one Christmas. It was, I think it was Maddie's second Christmas. She was a little girl. She was like one. She wasn't quite uh, two yet. And I remember Theresa made this beautiful eclair cake. I mean, it was amazing. And and I remember uh, she she cut out a piece, and she gave it to Madison, and Madison started eating it. And you could see her face light up. It was like the most glorious thing she'd ever had. And she ate it, and when she was done, she could barely talk. She just looked at us, and this was her first full sentence. I want more. (laughs) Isn't that glorious? Hey, listen. Do you want more of the shepherd? Do you want more of the Christ? Have you tasted and seen that he is good? That he's the good shepherd? And he calls his people to follow him and to serve him with all that we have? Do you want more? He's willing to give it to you if you want it. Just hear his voice and follow him. And he will lead you down paths of righteousness for your sake, for his namesake. Hey, listen, God is calling us right now to prepare our hearts and our minds to partake of his supper. This is one way in which we can fellowship with the Lord in the here and now. This is one way in which we desire more of the good shepherd. My prayer is that you will partake of these elements and be filled to the brim And it will cause in you a desire for more of your Savior. Let's pray. Father, indeed we do thank you. We come before you in humble obedience saying, Father, we want more. We want more of this good shepherd. We want more of your voice. We want more of your leading. We want more of your spirit. Father, we just want more. Give it to us, Father. We are empty. We are pressed down like the church of old who was sustained by this imagery. May we be sustained by it even today. Let us proclaim boldly that you are our good shepherd. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen.